0: Welcome to this episode of Sense Chat with Jason and Hayden. Let's jump right into making payments make sense.
1: Jason, welcome back to the studio for another Wednesday recording session. It was a fun Memorial Day weekend. I assume you had an
0: amazing time out in Newport. Beaches were beautiful and it was super nice to have some bars and restaurants open. It's nice to see the world going back to semblance of normalcy.
1: Yeah, I was not in California, but out in Arizona, the restaurants and bars were also opening up. So that's a great sign that, you know, the United States is finally reopening.
0: Yeah, definitely great for our retail merchants. And it was excited to hear that the state of California allowed salons to open back up yesterday. So maybe you can do something with that obnoxious head of hair you got going on now.
1: Yeah, God knows I need a haircut. Let's jump into today's stories. Freezing fraud follow up. You asked for more ideas
0: and we're happy to oblige followed by real-time remittance a trend that's here to stay.
1: And last, portfolio optimization with our guest Jim Batista, and he explains how Map Advisors is helping combat the COVID crunch. On our May 13th episode, we talked about the delicate balance between preventing consumer inconvenience while protecting against fraudulent transactions as the everyday consumer rapidly shifted to an online environment to fulfill their shopping needs. We received several requests from ISVs to go into more details on how they can better protect their merchants.
0: Yeah, Hayden, it was actually Super awesome to see how concerned some of the ISVs were about their merchants, especially the ones that had to make a rapid transition to e commerce and card not present to support their retail merchants in a COVID world. I think they all realized that preventable fraudulent chargebacks are hit merchants even harder now than they did before. And with Omnichannel officially here to stay, even for traditionally retail merchants, they're looking for ways to enhance their solution to better protect their merchants.
1: Well, in the first quarter of this year, nearly 25% of all transactions around the world were fraud attempts. So Jason, why don't you give these ISVs some more ammo to protect their merchants? I would
0: love to, Hayden. I'll cover four topics that I think are very easy to implement solutions that any ISV can build regardless of their payment processing partner. I think the first one is super simple, and it's protecting against dual accounts. Most fraudulent transactions utilize multiple accounts that have the same types of credentials. In other words, they're using the same email address, the same mobile number. Or one of the most common themes I see is that they're utilizing a free email service that has a really cool feature that fraudsters often exploit. And that feature is that you can add a plus to the end of your email address and and put anything you want. So, for example, Jason Kafer plus test at gmail.com and that email will actually land in my inbox. Filtering that out will stop a ton of fraud. Second, preventing card testing. This doesn't necessarily hit the merchant with fraud directly, but it results in an authorization charge and it allows the fraudsters to test cards to see if they're good. The way this most commonly is performed is when a payment page provides a option to store the credit card before the transaction is completed. In most cases, the ISV will do a account verification on the card to see if the card is good. And this basically tells the fraudster whether or not they've got a live card number. The solution to this is don't attempt to tokenize the card until after the final transaction has been completed for the full purchase amount. Third, Monitor for account takeovers. We've talked in many episodes how so many people use the same passwords for multiple websites. And when these passwords are leaked, it allows fraudsters to utilize those stolen password databases to log into merchants' websites as a consumer. And if that consumer has a tokenized card, they'll often change the shipping address, utilize that card that's stored on file, and make fraudulent purchases for products and services. The solution is anytime you see somebody logging into an account that hasn't been utilized frequently, send them an email or an SMS to confirm that it's actually the user you think it is. And lastly, if your payment processor or payment partner supports 3D Secure or Secure Code, use it. It's a tool that allows you to send the transactional details to the issuing bank prior to the transaction being completed. And if the issuing bank participates in these programs, not only does it help prevent fraud, but the merchant actually gets a liability shift in which the transaction can't be charged back for fraud.
1: One ISV in particular talked about experiencing a fraud challenge with merchants that are offering contactless delivery. But how can a merchant protect himself when they're just dropping a package at a
0: door while having absolutely no contact with the consumer? Hey, and this is a new use case that we haven't seen pop up as prevalently in the past. And I think there's a couple things that ISVs can do. First, a common thing that the fraudsters will do is they'll have packages shipped to construction sites, new home developments, or vacant buildings. So if you're showing up to drop off a package and it doesn't look like the residence is inhabited, don't leave it. Secondly, if it is an apartment building or an office building, Make sure that the suite number or the apartment number is clearly listed in the address line two field of the transaction. And lastly, take photos of the packages that you leave. So if it is charged back for the product wasn't delivered, you have proof that the driver actually dropped the package off to the consumer.
1: Well, Jason, on the topic of delivery, it seems that real-time remittance platforms are gaining a ton of ground due to the COVID crisis. And based on a recent survey of the working class that v- Visa conducted, 44% had less than $500 saved for unexpected expenses. And with more and more workers scrambling for jobs, waiting two weeks to get paid prevents them from putting gas in their car or potentially groceries on the tables for their families.
0: Yeah, Hayden, it's super exciting to see how some of the direct-to-card programs are being adapted to solve this modern-day crisis. Products like Visa Direct and MasterCard Send have been around for years. In fact, they're popular in many peer-to-peer Payment applications like Venmo and micro merchant solutions like Square, where you can instantly transfer the funds you have in your Venmo account or Square to your bank account using your Visa or your MasterCard debit card. Uber actually built this into their application some time ago so that drivers could cash out daily and have the money deposited into their account in real time. It's nice to see that more of the remittance industry is starting to move in this direction and in able workers to get their funds in real time.
1: Jason, on top of that, according to Visa studies, if a worker is distracted by personal stressors, personal finance being the largest stressor, it also affects the business itself. In that same study, it showed that roughly 33% of workers spend more than four hours a week thinking about their personal finances, and that will dramatically affect the flow of a workplace.
0: Yeah, Hayden, let's be honest. Finances is a big part of quality of life. And if employers can do things that enhance the quality of life of their employees, the business is going to benefit from that drastically. It's kind of like the saying, happy wife, happy life. If you have happy employees, you're going to have happier customers. Visa's earned wage access solution is helping bring this traditional service to payroll. Companies like Daily Pay, FlexWage, PayActive are allowing traditional W-2 employees to get access to their wages in real time between payroll periods. As the payments landscape continues to evolve and there are more and more gig workers and marketplace type solutions, I think how quickly the worker can get their money is going to be a key differentiator in who the winners in those industries are. ISVs that are building tech solutions that support micro-merchants need to make sure they're working with a payments partner that not only has a rich payments acceptance solution, but is also focusing on the latest in payments remittance solutions.
1: All right, Jason, taking this conversation all the way to the top of the payments ecosystem, it is not just the frontline workers that have to adjust, but also the third-party payment providers and ISOs. We are very excited to have Jim Batista from Map Advisors joining us today.
0: Hayden, that's absolutely right. And uh, it's it's an honor and privilege to have Jim on with us. Jim is probably one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the industry and somebody that I've had the privilege and honor of collaborating with on several projects. Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Map Advisors, and your experience in the industry?
2: Thanks, Hayden, and thanks, Jason. It's great to be on with you, and thank you for the opportunity. I've been in the payments industry for a long time, right? Uh, 25 years. On the founding side, for about 15, created two companies, one e-commerce company, one in gift loyalty card company. Both did very well, grew to over 25,000 clients each. And uh, after the second exit, I started to work on the consulting side. I have owned my own boutique consulting firm for a number of years, and then founded MAP Advisors in 2014, and this will be our seventh year. We are very, very knowledgeable about what's going on in payments. We've seen it evolve a lot, obviously, the last five years with SaaS and FinTech and all the new technology that's come about. And then, of course, COVID-19 comes along here three months ago and really throws payments for a loop. So it's been an interesting time in payments. It always has been, but it's more interesting now than it's ever been.
1: Yeah, of course. So, Jim, I understand that as a result, of COVID 19, portfolio optimization projects are on the rise. What is portfolio optimization? And as an expert in the space, why is it more important than ever?
2: Yeah, thanks, Hayden. Uh, let me answer that by sort of first going back to sort of recap what's happened because there's a lot of misinformation and, you know, and there's a lot of different experiences of what's happened to a lot of the payments providers here in the last 90 days. Obviously transactions are down for most. We've probably looked at over about fifty portfolios in the last thirty to forty five days. I would say only three or four portfolios out of those fifty. I've shown an increase. Those portfolios are more e commerce and well balanced, right? Not typically in one vertical, as some of the verticals out there have been hit hard. If you look at payments as a whole, just in April, I see, I think the average portfolio that we calculate was down somewhere around 55%. You know, in the payments industry, residuals have become one of the things that you could always depend on. And no one ever contemplated that their residuals would take a significant hit of more than five or 10%, let alone 55%. So what COVID-19 has done really is, has have every business re-examine their business model. And payments is no different. Outside of the things that people are doing as it relates to trying to serve their merchants, a lot of the payments providers are trying to find ways to improve their profitability. And one of the ways to do that is portfolio optimization. In simplest terms, portfolio optimization is not a price increase. It's not adding any additional cost to the merchants. In today's world, one of the things that we all have to be conscious of is actually making sure that the merchants are, if you can, reduce their costs or certainly don't increase their costs, help the merchants be successful. And what we do with portfolio optimization is, is really a work with our clients to help them make sure that their transactions, their processing, their contracts, everything that's related to what comprises their residual dollars is as efficient. And from their perspective, they can can make the most money out of it and have the most transparency and control of it. It's become very, very common because of the growth that's happened over the, the last number of years that there hasn't been... Tremendous amount of research and focus put on making sure that every payment processor is reviewing every cost, making sure that transactions are routed most effectively, tying out all the bottom lines, looking at their contracts, looking at how they route all the transactions and making sure that it's as efficient as possible for them so that they can keep their costs to a minimum, still providing the best service they can to the merchants and in today's world, as I said earlier, making sure that at this point in time, even with the reduction in residuals, they don't have to pass on any additional cost to the merchants. And as Jason pointed out earlier in the conversation, we've worked with Jason on a number of engagements. I'm sure Jason can talk about some of the, the details of it and and talk about certain categories that we focus on. It, it's a very, very, I think, transparent exercise for every client that we engage with.
1: Awesome. Well, Jason, I know, as Jim said, you two have worked together on a ton of portfolio optimization projects, but how does this differ from the traditional interchange optimization projects that most ISOs
0: have already heard about? Yeah, great question, Hayden. Uh, You know, Jim and I have certainly collaborated on, on a plethora of these, and it was really a breath of fresh air when Jim approached me with his philosophy on how he goes about these portfolio optimization projects. I've seen- way too many groups out there that really focus on interchange optimization, which like Jim mentioned is increasing fees to the merchant to make the ISO more profitable or hurting their sales force and increasing the cost to their agents. Jim's strategy looks at six key areas, vendors, technology, interchange and network fees, how merchants are billed, how agents are commissioned and what opportunities there are for new revenue streams. Where our relationship has been very symbiotic is the amount of experience that our group has on the technical side of things we've integrated to just about every processor that exists we've integrated directly to the card networks and we work with these systems day in and day out and it's really important to remember that the the card networks are the ones who make a lot of the rules that are responsible for assessing different fees surcharges interchange compliance data integrity fees and that's where really all of the details lie and for most most ISOs or third-party payment providers, those details are masked by the processors. And unless they've gone all the way down the rabbit hole before, they don't know what they don't know. And that's where our group has been able to really work with Jim and help enhance his portfolio optimization product is the deep technical understanding, the vast amount of data that we have aggregated in working on these projects, having a good semblance for the data point you can turn to make a big impact. The other big piece of it that we've really been able to add a lot to the process is on new revenue streams, right? Being at the forefront of technology, working directly with the card networks, we're always seeing new products, new solutions, new opportunities to create more value for the merchants and the supply chain and thus produce new revenue streams.
1: Jim, question for you. If you are a bank or an ISO that is looking to optimize their portfolio, what advice do you have for them in engaging a vendor and what should they expect from the process? The way I think
2: the process process should run, which is the way we run it. It's very transparent and it's it's educational. It, it's not. We're not trying to keep the secret sauce away from everyone. We engage with our clients. We educate our clients. We look at this as a long-term relationship. The information is changing so quickly. It's unfair to think that one or two people in an organization, no matter how well educated they are, can understand all the constantly changing variables that are out there. We employ a great team that's not only being educated all the time, but also has the experience of seeing all these different projects. So really to be at the top of your game in this process and in this product that we offer here, you really have to have that experience. If someone's considering this, they should look at a few things. So, Number one, will the provider be transparent? And what I mean by that is when we do an analysis, we take four six weeks, sometimes up to eight weeks to go through all the data. And then we will sit down with the client And we will list everything that we believe can be improved. And again, it's not our decision what to do, it's the client's decision. So they make the decision on what they want to move forward with and what they want to focus on. It's an educational process, and it's all up to the client to make the decision on what they want to focus, what they want to prioritize, and what they want to implement. And I think that alone is different than anyone else in the industry. And and so once you have that process take place, there's a real trust that develops between us and the client and and anyone that engages with any bank or any payment processor should have that trust because it's a very, very sensitive area and an area that's got to be done correctly and it's got to be done with a lot of thought. To make sure that the results that you're looking for are achieved and make sure that through the process, you're, you know, everyone is educated on on what the result is going to be and what the timeliness of that result is looking for. Sometimes people have the misconception that, you know, you're going to walk in there for a week or two and you're going to have an effect on the residual by early next month. It's not the process, and that's not how it should work. If you're looking for a long-term gain and you're looking for that education and experience, you really have to be able to give it the time and go through the process to achieve those results that you want to do. The other thing I would say, uh, Hayden, to answer the question is, is that there should be a, a pricing structure that certainly aligns everyone's interest. And, you know, what does that mean? Uh, that means obviously there's a cost for bringing all these talented people to look at all this information and do that first set of analysis. So there, there obviously will be a retainer or fees up front to pay for that. But really, at the end of the day, everyone should be aligned on success. So when any bank or processor is looking to engage these type of agreements, they should think in terms of of that kind of structure that aligns everyone's interest. Uh, I think those are the key important points, thinking through and demanding from their, their partner when they, when they consider this type of process.
1: Jim, those are some great insights. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Sense Chat. Now, Jason, I think you know what time it is.
0: Give me those takeaways. ISVs. It's your time to shine by preventing fraud for your new card not present channels. Supply chain. The game is changing. And if you're not developing remittance solutions to complement your acceptance solutions, you're behind the game. ISOs. We've all had to adapt to this new economy, and you need to find a partner to help you optimize your portfolio and maximize your revenue.
1: Thanks for joining us today. And if you've got a topic you would like us to discuss, follow and message us on social media at SenseChat, And as always, we would love your feedback. Hayden out.